The following program is a paid presentation. The views and or opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of Starnes Media Group or KWAM. Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, and Ted Miner are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Welcome to Talk Money. Well, today we are blessed to have a just a great lineup for you about information that I think everybody needs to know. We're going to talk about some estate planning basics and how to avoid some of these problems. We're going to talk about your last will and testament. Should you have a guardian if you have minor children? What does it mean to have a power of attorney for health care provisions? And at the end of the program, Ted Miner in the last quarter hour is going to dive in and take a deep dive for us into taking a lump sum Social Security paycheck. Can you imagine that? Now, I want you to understand, I said lump sum only for a certain amount of money, not your entire Social Security lump. Boy, that'd be a deal. I hadn't thought about that. But Ted's going to help us with that. He's a retirement income certified professional. So we're going to find out, should you do that or should you not take that lump sum? Very important for information. But first, I mean, right off the top, I've got Tiffany Bowders from Butler, Severe, Hensley, and Reed. She is an attorney, and joining her is Scott Jordan. We're going to talk about estate planning basics, what you need to know. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Jim. Always Thanks. great to be here. Thanks for having me, Jim. All right, guys. Now, this is so important. I mean, you know, you would think that this is not a subject that it has to be discussed a lot, especially if you happen to have a family, if you happen to have, you know, some assets and you think about how you want to distribute those assets. But we all know that, believe it or not, it is a discussion for a lot of people. And we put it off. In fact, Scott and I was with someone yesterday, uh, over 60 years old, worth quite a bit of money and had a lot of people. And he has very dedicated Scott to putting things together for his family and whatever. But he had never taken the time to do a last one in Testament. Yeah. And I think, you know, unfortunately we see that a lot. And I think most people think about it, but they always think they have more time to deal with it and just kind of put that decision off. It's hard to face our mortality, right? I mean, think about it. We don't want to think about these decisions or not being here, but Again, it's so important that you put down what your wishes are for how you want your assets distributed when you're not here anymore. But last time I checked, we all have an end date. I, you know, they ran several studies on that, <laughs> and the mortality rate is still 100%. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Tiffany, you do a phenomenal job as an estate planning attorney, and you do a lot of work. Who needs a last will and testament? Everybody. And that is a, one of the other common misconceptions that I hear in my practice a lot. People will tell me that they feel like they don't have enough assets to need a will or to justify a will, or they're married. And because they're married, they feel like everything's just going to go to their spouse and they don't need a will. And neither of those things are correct. Everybody needs a will. Everybody needs to set forth, like Scott said, how they want their property to pass. And this is especially true if you have minor children. Yeah, the minor children's always a problem because I have been in the courts, and I'm sure you have too, where you've got grandparents 
because there was nobody was named as a guardian. It's, it, obviously, Tennessee has a law that says we're going to decide for you if you don't have this. And the reality was I watched grandparents um, battle over three little girls, and it was just not a pleasant scene. I mean, and the little girls were going, what in the world's happening? So we know it happens. And it's not one of those things that you think it's a, a television program or, you know, some drama. It The drama is in the courtroom. It absolutely is, not only for guardian of the person of the minor children, which is what you're talking about, Jim, but guardian of the estate, which is of the funds that they would inherit from their parents. If we don't set up the proper mechanisms in a last will and testament to provide for the children, we're going to get tied up in probate and we're going to have to open a guardianship and probate court. It's going to be monitored by the court. You're not going to be able to encroach on those funds as needed, attorney's fees, accountings, bonds. It can get very expensive. You know, I want to talk about who, what are some of the estate planning documents, but let me play back to what you were just saying, because in that particular case with those three little girls, I managed the assets for the estate and had to go see the judge, and I'm not going to mention his name, but a very familiar name here in the city. And the reality was uh, Judge Don was, uh, was great to work with. Uh, and yet, when we were buying bicycles or tape recorders or pom poms, all those things had to be, and you know, especially at Christmas. And uh, I don't guess it's okay to say John Judge Southern, but but he he was just phenomenal. Yeah. He had a heart for them, but he wanted it done right. He wanted to be sure they were taken care of, and that's so critical. Absolutely, and I think that most people. They have a vision in their mind of how they want their minor children cared for, who they want them uh, to have custody, you know, who to care for them, but also they want them to have access to funds so that they can pay for education. They can pay for just general maintenance or travel or study abroad or whatever those things are without having to constantly go before a court Mm -hmm. and have attorneys involved. So it's crucial no matter who you are, but especially if you have a family, especially if you have minor children or adult children with special needs, that you go to an estate planning attorney uh, and get your will taken care of. That's a great point. Let's talk about this. And if you just tuned in, my guest today, we're talking about some estate planning basics. And we're talking with Tiffany Bowders and Scott Jordan. We've got Ted Miner also in the studios with us. He'll come up here in a few minutes. But Tiffany, let's start with this. I want to just say, what are some, and we've already kind of said guardianship. I understand that. What are some of the basics, though, that if you, let's just say, I want you to kind of say to me that, okay, Jim, you need the following. So everybody, if you got a pen, a pencil, paper, write this down. Wise counsel, always important. The Bible says seek wise counsel. You're about to hear some wise counsel. Go. Thank you, Jim. So the things that everybody needs is a last will and testament. So this is the document that we were just talking about that sets forth how you want your property to pass when you die. It also is going to name a guardian for your children. The next document that you're going to need is a durable power of attorney. You're going to need one for health care and one for finances. This document is where you appoint somebody as your agent to act on your behalf in the event that you can't do that for yourself. It's an extremely important document so that somebody can handle your financial affairs and make health care decisions for you in the event you cannot do that for yourself. All right, let me ask this question because sometimes people say, well, this is uh, my spouse will take care of that. And we know that's not always the case. Explain that so everybody knows just because you're married, 
doesn't always give that person the privilege or the entitlement in some cases to act on your behalf. Absolutely. So in the United States, we all are covered by HIPAA and we all have protected health care information and our right to our privacy, both financial and health care. And that that right to privacy, it doesn't automatically extend to your spouse. It only does that if you have a document where you give the doctor or hospital permission to talk to that individual about your health care. And that's what the durable power of attorney accomplishes. That is so hard and so foreign for some people to think that you can't talk to my wife on my behalf or my husband on my behalf, but that is for their protection. Absolutely. It it absolutely is. And sometimes people are estranged from spouses or perhaps there's a reason that they don't want their spouse being the one to make the decision. So it's important to have a document in place for everyone's protection. And so you can name the individual you want to make those decisions for you. That's so important. Let me remind you that you can find this show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you happen to be listening to a podcast. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. You can subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. We would appreciate it. My guests, Tiffany Bowders and Scott Jordan and Ted Miner. When we come back, we're going to ask the question, do you need a living will? So many people talk about a living will. Well, Tiffany's going to dive into that with us and ask, I'm going to really ask, what does it do and is it necessary? Stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Neither Securian Financial Services, Inc. nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with Tiffany Bowders, attorney, or Butler, Severe, Hensley, and Reed. The views and opinions expressed are those of Tiffany Bowders only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money on KWAM, the mighty 990, FM 107.9 and AM 990. Thank you for joining us this morning. want to remind you again that you can find our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review. We would appreciate it. My guest today, Tiffany Bowders, attorney, Butler, Severe, Hensley, and Reed, Scott Jordan with Shoemaker. Financial, is Certified Financial Planner, and Ted Miner, Retirement Income Certified Professional at Shoemaker Financial. We're talking about common mistakes that we make when it comes to developing an estate plan, a, a you know, last will and testament. Tiffany is making sure we know the basics, and Ted's going to talk about some of the biggest problems we have when he looks at Social Security and talks about a lump sum payment. You don't want to miss that part coming up here in the last quarter of the hour, so stay with us. Ted, let me lead into you. You talked about during the break a particular case, and we're talking about who needs an estate plan and what are the basics and why. And the why is that you made the comment we're living longer. Talk about that. Well, and not just uh, just living longer, but what that what that also entails. Uh, as we live longer, uh, many times we invoke uh, where we're staying with long term care services that are provided and. And really, I, I was thinking about the case of my own family where, uh, you know, my mom, she's living in assisted living now. And, and that POA comes in very, very handy because she just is not competent to be able to handle all the questions and all the details and the things that she is faced with. And these are things that are, as we continue to live longer and longer, these are things that we face more and more. As, and not just the longer and longer, but the fact that we're having all these services that are available that keep us keep us alive longer and longer. 
But uh, the POA has been very powerful for us. If we if we didn't have the POA, would have been in trouble for in many cases. Many decisions that you That's needed right. to make, you had to make with the power of attorney. That's for our listening on its POA, power of attorney, uh, just you know, I mean, right. MOSU or whatever, you know, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. All right, guys. Uh, Tiffany, I want to kind of ask you this question. One of the misconceptions is, well, you had mentioned it also during the break, the problem that some people have that just they, well, everything, you know, is okay. It's not a big estate. We just want to take you. But that's not the way. So they don't do it. They're married, young couple, two or three kids. But what are some of the things that they miss and, and that's so important? that we need to make sure everybody hears about. Absolutely. So one of the things we were talking about on the break is that people assume that if you're married, everything is going to automatically pass to your spouse in the state of Tennessee, and that is not the case. Okay, before you say that's, I mean, that's critical. Now, if I'm married, my spouse is alive, my children, automatically, she's the guardian, she's the mother, she's going to take care of, no questions there. So I don't name a guardian for that, it's when they're involved in a common disaster. But you mean to tell me everything's going to pass to my spouse, right? No problems? You know, so that's where I want you. Minor children are involved. What happens? Absolutely. Um, and not just minor children, but adult children, too. So in Tennessee, if you don't have a last will and testament, how your property passes is governed by statute. And those are called the intestacy statutes. And things will be divided between your spouse and your children. So your spouse will get um, a third or a child share, whichever is greater. And I have a case right now that I'm dealing with where there was a, a couple. They were married. They had five children, three of which were adults and two of which were minors. And they owned several pieces of property and other accounts, which were all in husband's sole name. He died without a will. And the wife assumed those properties belonged to her, that all the money was going to go to her so she could take care of the children. And I had to explain to her that that's not true, that the properties, even the house they were living in as the marital home, was now owned by her and the children, including the minor children. And so we've been in probate for quite some time. You know, Tiffany, when you say you had to explain to her that that's just not true. You know, that for some people, it just that can't be, you know, it just can't be. He, we were married, you know, and yet there's, there's, a, there's a reason for that. In, in 30 seconds or less, why is that so important? I mean, that's, you know, that, everybody thinks it, I'm married, it's coming to me. Why is it not always the case? Well, it has to do with how uh, assets are titled, which is another really important thing to talk about with your state planning attorney. How are things owned? Are they owned jointly? Do you have right of survivorship? You need to make sure you know those things. Are there beneficiaries named on these accounts? Because if it's not, then we're going to end up in probate. So it's very important for you to talk to your estate planning attorney about all of those situations. And so the reality being, everybody thinks it's going to automatically pass to my spouse, but reality the state says, no, if you have children, we got to protect the children, too. If you didn't tell us what to do with the last will and testament that you would write, the state's going to step in and say, well, we're going to split it according to, you know, the ch- children's going to get a portion, each of them, and then the wife's going to get, spouse's going to get the portion, and we're going we're gonna to do some protections. And that's really kind of law. I mean, it's way it's come from years of developing the law. It's absolutely the law. Yeah. It's very clear in the statutes what happens if you don't have a last will and testament. All right. What are some other vehicles? I mean, other things that people need to consider. We hammered last will and testament. We talked about a power of attorney, guardianship, whether it's for a minor child or guardianship for someone who may be an invalid or, or an aged, you know, you know, as far as that's concerned. 
uh, an elder person. So here's the thought. What are some other estate planning vehicles? I mean, I'm thinking a revocable living trust. Talk about that. Absolutely. So a revocable living trust is a great tool for a lot of people. The revocable living trust gives you uh, a couple of really great um really great um, tools in your arsenal to use. So one of them is that you will have all of your assets gathered in one place under one vehicle, which is the trust, so that when you pass, your executor or your family isn't having to go and figure out where all of these assets are and then go through the probate process, go through your will. Instead, everything is already owned by the trust, and it's going to flow seamlessly according to the provisions of the trust. Another great uh, tool that the trust gives you is that you have a lot of control over how those assets pass and to whom and at what times. So it gives you a lot of um, uh, a lot of control in the sense that you can say, I want some to go to my spouse or some to my kids, some to my grandkids, and at what age or ages you want them to get that money. I think that's something really important for people to consider, especially if you're thinking that you want to leave things to young people and the assets could be significant. You probably don't want them getting those assets at 18. You want to put some safeguards in place about when and how they can get that money. You know, when you think about that, safeguards, protection, I know everybody thinks about this and everybody says, okay, I want to do everything possible to take care of my children, take care of my spouse. I want to make sure I'm doing this right. But then they said, oh, but I don't know if I can afford it. I mean, I always look at it from a standpoint, can I afford not to do it because of the ramification? You just mentioned a lot of time in probate. I'm sure that husband was not thinking about what he was about to do with his family. And Scott's going to dive into that in a few minutes with us when we talk about some misconceptions and mistakes that we all make. And that's some of the things here. But how do you encourage people? What would you say to someone Listen, this is this is all a part of an overall plan that you need to be thinking about. Tell me what you would say to it. Absolutely. Well, the first thing I tell people is it's probably not as expensive as you think it's going to be, and it's probably not as time-consuming a process as you think it's going to be. The other thing I tell people is that this is if you're going to do something to protect your family, you want, you know, just like you get life insurance, just like you take care of your health, just like you make sure you have your homeowners, everything like that to protect yourself, you need to have this tool in place because like you said, you really can't afford not to have it. Just like even just something as basic as getting that power of attorney. Very simple document, takes almost no time to execute, and yet it can save you so much heartache, so much money, in time down the road when you need that to take care of a loved one. Yeah, that's so, so important. Well said. Special needs trust? Absolutely. Special needs trust, super important for a couple of reasons. One, a special needs trust is going to ensure that you have money set aside for an individual who can't manage it for themselves. Oftentimes we're talking about somebody who perhaps it has Down syndrome or they have autism or they have a lifelong condition where they're going to need someone to care for them and manage their money. You don't want them to be able to hold that money out in their own hands outright because they can't use it. So you're going to protect it, safeguard it, ensure that it's there for their use, and you're going to name somebody who's going to be able to grow that money, watch over it, and use it for their benefit. It also has added uh, protections so that they can have this pot of money available to them, and yet they can still qualify for any other government benefits that may be available to them, like Social Security Disability. 
you know, you've talked about a lot of stuff. I and mean, when we think about it, I mean, I use the term stuff. I don't know if that's a, is that a, is that a legal term, stuff? I believe that, it is. That's, yeah. Greek, that's, for, believe that's it is. Greek for a lot. Okay? It, is the te- it is the technical term. <laughs> a technical People term. understand that. Term. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no problem. My but, stuff. Yeah, my Absolutely. St- I want to put all my stuff my in the box. My stuff. That's right. But that's it. But the reality is, and we talked about this, you're talking about power of attorney. We're talking about making sure you have a last will and testament. Make, talk about trust and all things like that. Some people dive into this living will. We only got a few minutes, a few seconds, well, about a minute ago. I wanted you to say, what is a living will and is it important and why? Yes, a living will is important. Sometimes you hear it called an advanced directive. This document doesn't give any power to anybody. Instead, it's your express wishes to the hospital and to your healthcare providers of your end of life decisions. So I think it's hugely important if there is something um, that you want for yourself, like a do not resuscitate or you don't want to be kept alive on machines or IV fluids, this is going to ensure that your end of life decisions are met. All right, that is, that is critical. That is important. You've covered the basics, the estate planning basics, last will and testament, power of attorney, living will, knowing what a trust is, how to put the trust together. But when we come back, guys, we're going to find out that there are common mistakes that we make. And uh, Scott and Tiffany are going to dive into those common mistakes. We'll find out what they're about and why and how easy they are to make. Join us. We'll be back in just a few seconds. Stay with us. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. I want to remind you that, of course, you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker and subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review. Much, much, much appreciated. My guest, Tiffany Bowders, she's been talking about some just some basics around estate planning, your last will and testament, power of attorney, living will, why it was important. Scott Jordan and Ted Miner with me. We're going to get them all in room. Lots of wisdom here, lots of brain power. I just get to hand the mic over and I'm actually leaving. I'm going to play golf this afternoon, I think, but whatever. Here we are. Now, guys, I'm going to start with you, Scott, because some of these misconceptions, some of these problems and mistakes, what do you see in your practice as a certified financial planner, working with planning and and putting all the things together, working with Tiffany when you've got a case that we're doing that? What do you see as one of the biggest issues in your practice? The biggest issue is just failing to make an estate plan at all. Now, we've touched on this a little bit, but whether it's because of the money, the time involved, the failure to want to, you know, really think about our own mortality. For whatever reason, this is something that people procrastinate on, and they never create a state plan. We talked about some of the serious issues with that, one being, you know, everybody has a plan. It's either by design or by default. If you don't make one the state of of your residency, and in our case, many are in Tennessee, they'll make the plan for you. And uh, Tiffany was talking about earlier, and this is something not a lot of people know, you know, if you have assets that are going to pass through your will and they are are not not the will by intestate, then, you know, your spouse is only going to get a third or a child's share. 
Whereas you may be thinking she's fully taken care of and everything's going to go to her. So serious issues are created by just failing to sit down, think through these issues, and have a plan. And I also want to say this because, uh, you know, we're in kind of this do-it-yourself world where people think they can either go online and, and by all means, that's better than nothing. Uh, let me say that first. But I think it's so important to sit down with somebody that has experience with these types of situations that can help you think through these decisions, think about things you might not have thought of, you know, like the spouse, you know, getting a third or the child share or who's going to be the guardian or, you know, do I need a trust? Do I have properties in multiple states and things of that nature that would warrant some additional planning? So having a professional on your side, I know it costs money. I know it takes time, but, uh, you know, it, that can save your heirs a lot of time on the back end. Ted was just talking about in the break, and I thought it was a great example of, you know, we had a car, I believe it was your dad, had the car titled only in his name, and that caused a lot of problems. Now, you were able to go get it solved, but it took a lot of your time to go take your, you know, take off work and go deal with it. Yeah, they were in North court. Carolina, so I had to travel. Yeah, so just, some travel, too. Just to yeah. sell the car. Yeah. I mean, we just want to sell the car. It was in his name, and, of course, he was deceased, and so we had to deal with and that. And your yeah. dad, your dad, Ted, was is very smart, knew of, I mean, all of this. What was he thinking when he put it in his name only? He was thinking he paid for it. He's going to put it in his name. <laughs> but the reality is he wasn't thinking. I'm sure right, he no, wasn't right. thinking about it. If something happens to me, it's got to go to mom. You know this. He wasn't thinking about that. And, and that's what the problem is. We don't sometimes think. And sometimes we realize that the state that you live in, what their wishes are may not align with what your wishes are. Tiffany, you talked about that. Absolutely. I think I think you're right. I think that procrastin either you feel like you don't need it or more likely it's just it's on your to do list and it's, you know, on your to do list for years and it's just not one of those things that you get to. Another common mistake that I see is not just failing to develop a plan, but failing to update the plan if there are life changes. Right. You know, sometimes people come to me and they have wills that are 30 years old and now their kids are grown and they have grandchildren or they've been through a divorce uh, or they have their assets have greatly changed so now they own businesses or other properties and what they have isn't going to offer them the protection that they need or it's not going to execute the plan that they want so also keeping on top of it when you have a change of circumstance meeting with your um, a state planning attorney every couple of years, every three years, and your CPA to make sure that you're still protected. That's a great point. Well, let's, let me ask you this, Scott, and I think people do this to some degree, but it's one of those things about keeping it up, just keeping adequate records of everything, the, the, the data. Well, that's that's, that's critical when you're sitting down to do planning is, you know, you need a thorough list of all the assets, um, you know, well, we've been through this with some clients recently where you, you start getting into digital assets. You know, what about what about websites where I have passwords to? What about things like social media sites? What happens to all that? Uh, making sure that we've thought through everything. And that all starts with those adequate records, but also having whoever you name as fiduciaries to, to be able to settle the state or make those financial decisions for you, do they know where to go get everything? Right. So all these things are important and a, a critical part of sitting down and planning out that estate and, and that it passes the way you want it to pass. And there's a lot of forms. I know we use a form that helps people do all of this. It's yes. kind of, it's four or five pages. I mean, Tiffany's got things that we all, as planners, when we, we work with people, it's, it's actually going through the process and starting and 
and just letting them go through, and this is what we need, this is what we need, because yeah. sometimes they just don't know. They don't know where to start, and, and they, don't know, they don't know what all they need to have together. So it's good to have some sort of checklist or some sort of planning document that can help you think through that process. Now, it is time-consuming. That's, that's something you have to realize is you do have to take a little time on the front end to organize all this and get it right, but... You know, that can save your, your heirs all kinds of time and money and effort on the back end just by doing a little planning. Just by doing a little planning, taking the time, and that's so critical. I know, Scott, you talk about this a lot because it's one of the things that you really dive in with everybody we talk to and we really kind of pull this apart, is making sure that the last will and testament, the beneficiary designations, all line up <laughs> with their wishes. This, that can be a nightmare. This is one of the biggest mistakes I yeah. see, is people don't understand how pop property passes through the law, right? Yeah, the will does dictate certain assets, you know, especially those that are owned by an individual. But you have things like retirement accounts, uh, life insurance policies that that you are assigning a beneficiary on. So it's critical in part of that planning process that you think through all of that, make sure those beneficiary designations are correct and that those beneficiary designations, if I can get that out, agree with what you're wanting to happen. We've all seen the horror stories. I've had I've had situations where you've had a divorce and failure to change those beneficiary designations, and that ended in some very, very unintended consequences and a lot of a lot of strife and pain. Uh, that's a problem, too. And, Tiffany, what happens is let's just suppose that you got a case where the, the beneficiary designation is to the former spouse. What happens? Absolutely. So the you know the reality is is that that's a contract between the decedent and the financial institution. So the financial institution is going to release those funds to whoever that designated beneficiary is. And what it does is it leads to litigation is what happens. <laughs> exactly. I was exactly. going to say, with a big L it is, because, you know, it wasn't the intentions, and obviously, and yet it was a failure to take care of it. So that's a real issue, a real problem. Now, Ted, you actually mentioned the titling where you had to go to North Carolina for your dad, but titling assets correctly is a critical asset problem. Yeah, and in my case, just it involved just a lot of time. Uh, in many other cases, it can involve court, money, and time. So it can be very expensive. Absolutely. I think that people don't always understand that if you own, like, say, a bank account jointly with your daughter and you put her on there because she's the one helping you with your bills, but you really want your property to pass equally to your children and all your money's in that bank account, it's not going to pass equally to your children. It's going to pass to that one daughter. Mm -hmm. So you need to make sure you understand um, what the consequences of how things are titled, how beneficiary designations are, and making sure that you keep up to date with those beneficiary designations. If you name somebody and that person dies before you, you need to make sure that you name a, a new beneficiary or have a contingent in place. And, you know, the reality is some people say, well, I want to avoid probate. Well, avoiding probate, you can have a proper beneficiary designation. Mm -hmm. It's going to go by contract, as Tiffany said. You title things. It'll go by the way it's titled. But if you don't do all that and you do it wrong, guess what? You're in the, not probate, but litigation. You also have to be careful. A lot of people want to uh, change the title and put their kids on a, a home or something just before they mm -hmm. die. 
that's also got implications of gift taxes and things like that and whether you get an appreciation step up at a death and all sorts of things. It has huge implications. Please do not do that until you talk to an attorney. I cannot tell you how many how many horror stories I have had where people put their child on the house for whatever reason and then they have to sell the house to move into assisted living and guess what? They can't sell the house without their child agreeing and their child won't agree. Now guess where we are? Litigation. Yep. Litigation. And that's with the child. The reality is, too, guys, think about it this way. Every time I put somebody on something, a title with me, I just bought their debts. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden I've got my house and I get a little notice that says, we, you, you know, you, your partner, your person entitled this owes me money, so we're going to d- put a lien against the house. Wait a minute, this is my house. Well, not really. Mm-hmm. It's you and whoever else, whomever else that you might have. Now, those are things that you got to think about. So, wow, we're going to take a break, and we come back. We're going to talk about Social Security. I have one more question about naming an executor and a trustee, and then I want to absolutely get into this lump sum payment from Social Security. you got to hear this. This is something that somebody may tell you to do, but you need to know all the ramifications, the good, the bad, and there's no ugly, I guess, in this. So we'll be back in just a second. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific situation. Well, we've been talking with Scott Jordan, Tiffany Bowders, and Ted Miner. We're talking about common mistakes that you make when you're looking at your last will and testament. Well, I want to make sure that uh, we cover one last thing before we get to Ted. He's going to talk about lump sum payment from Social Security. So, just hang on. We've got to get there. But, Scott, I want to ask you the question. The, the name, the appropriate, and I'm going to use this word, and I'm going to let you explain it, fiduciaries. That's the executor, a trustee, a guardian. What are you talking about? Well, that that's the person who you're really given the authority to kind of settle all this stuff, whether it's the trustee of the estate that's going to manage the trust and distribute all the income and, and assets to the beneficiaries or the executor of the estate that's going to settle the estate. That decision needs to be carefully thought through. You need you need to name someone you can trust, but you also need, need to name someone that has a little bit of the competency that can handle these difficult decisions or get some outside help that can help, help them with that. And getting outside help is done a lot of times, whether you're either yes. talking to someone like us, talking to a Tiffany, you know, someone right. that's in that legal profession, a CPA. Some, so it's always, maybe it's just, you know, a common friend, but getting counsel is yeah. very important. That's a biblical statement, getting wise counsel. And uh, in the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. And that's important. So now I've been in the multitude of counselors here today, so I want to lean <laughs> to, to a heavyweight, and that's Ted Miner. Ted you do a ton of inf- you know work with Social Security, counsel a lot of people, but there recently is something that, not recently that's a new law or anything, but just something that's come up that I think is important. The opportunity to receive six months of pay from your Social Security payment up front and uh, can be enticing. It seems like it's a gift. It seems like it's something that there's no consequences, but well, somehow I know. Well, 
almost to everyone when it's introduced to them first of all they they they're not aware of it and so it does seem like a windfall to them when when it's offered to them and so there are consequences now let's talk about it. let's just let i want you to describe it here you know it's something that people are not not sophisticated or not thinking about or not in other words we're just not aware we're not educated about it so i mean I would say that most of our listening audience would say, I didn't know you could do that. Well, I would I would agree with that. It, it happens very rarely. Number one, it only happens if you have not taken your benefit before full retirement age. So and we know by statistics, most people choose their benefits before full retirement age, unfortunately. But uh, when people go to the Social Security office and they're looking to turn on their benefits, then a it's not it doesn't even happen all the time but many times and a an agent may be aware of it and they may offer to them the opportunity to take up to six months back pay uh up front as a lump sum and there are implications to that that many times aren't thought through when when that, that's offered all right it sounds like it's a great idea great deal i'm going to get a check for ten thousand fifteen thousand thirty thousand whatever it is that's totaled up it's that six months back and i get it all at one time that sounds like a good deal but tell me why it's maybe not well first of all the mechanics uh when you think about what what they do is you're sitting here if you're waiting till after full retirement age to take your benefits one of the things that you have thought through is at least that your benefits continue to grow as you continue to wait. They're going up about 8% a year plus any COLAs that the government will add to the program. So they can be going up pretty significantly. Uh, anytime they offer you a, a lump sum, they are backing that up six months as if you took your benefits six months ago which will reduce the benefit by 4%. 4% is half of the 8% that it grows up. It'll reduce your benefit check by 4% for the rest of your life. Uh, not only for the rest of your life, but possibly for the rest of your uh, the time that your spouse may be living without you if, if you're the higher income earner and uh, you decease, you pass away before her, she's going to get your benefit. She or he would get your benefit. And so it could be a significant period of time that your benefit is going to be depleted of 4% for that one lump sum check. Yeah, yesterday we were talking, Scott and I were dealing with someone, we were talking about mortality tables and uh, uh, mortality. This person had two individuals in his family that were in their ninety, like ninety-eight and ninety-nine. So we kind of suspect that he's pretty got you know pretty good DNA and genetics, and he may live to be ninety, ninety-five. So we didn't do that twenty, thirty years ago. But today, you're talking about somebody living that long period of time. Well, I I, I told Scott before we came in here that I w- I could be the best planner in the world if I just knew one thing, <laughs> and that's. How when people are going to die? And it, Scott, what did you say? I think that definitely simplifies things. You, know, you can make some good decisions if you know that. I mean, now guys, if we work this out, we can. You know, that's a pretty that's good right. deal. Well, so so as a as a planner, as someone who's sitting down and going through someone's plan, looking at their assets, looking at their their pensions, looking at their uh, Social Security opportunities, and you sit down and you kind of work through how can we maximize this benefit. And then all of a sudden, because this has happened, and all of a sudden you get a phone call say, hey, guess what? I got six months back pay and, and them not to have any knowledge of how that has impacted the rest of their benefit 
sometimes that can be uh, sometimes there has to be adjustments made and it's a rude awakening if it maybe wasn't the best decision tell me why some of the reasons why it would not be the best decision to take the lump sum okay well first of all the the your benefit for social security uh, 85% uh, 15% of social security is always not taxed there is a roll, uh, rolling scale that tells you how much of Social Security is taxed, and it's possible if you take the lump sum that it may roll you into another tax bracket for the taxation of Social Security benefits. You also have, so that would be one, one reason you might not want to take it because all that big lump sum falls in one year. Number two is that the Medicare premiums that you pay are based on income. And if you're if you're single and you make let's say you make close to ninety one thousand dollars and you took this lump sum and it took you over the ninety one thousand dollars, your Medicare Part B payment today is one hundred and seventy. That Medicare premium goes up seventy some dollars immediately because your income goes up. Uh, and I will say that the the Medicare Part B premiums can go up to as high as five hundred seventy eight dollars depending on your income. So. Taking that lump sum may put you in a whole different bracket in terms of what you pay for Medicare premiums. Um, the other underlying factor is usually if a person takes the lump sum, uh, especially in a situation where uh, it is offered to them and they haven't thought it through, that money is probably, they look at it as a windfall, it will probably go to something that is um, maybe not a necessity, something they don't need, and they're, they're giving up that income stream, a portion of that income stream for the rest of their life. And just depending on where they are financially, it may or may not be uh, something that could be devastating to them. Well, I know we've always talked about the retirement three-legged stool, your pension, the 401k, your savings plan, whatever you put out, your own personal savings plan, and then Social Security. So the impact, I want to make sure that you, we clarify this. You said you have to be at full retirement age. Yes. All right. That means that you're now going to maximize your Social Security. If you go to 70, you know, past that, you'll get more. But this is saying you're not going to come in and reduce my, my payment, but you're electing something that does reduce, and you just That's need right. to be aware of it. That's right. Yeah, this would not be offered to them unless they're past full retirement age, but you're absolutely right. The reason that people are waiting at full retirement age and beyond is to get that 8% increase every year, and the fact that they accept this payment it reduces their benefit by 4%, and it's a long-term thing. And that's a long-term. Scott, when we're working with someone in a planning process, you know, knowing that that is a base for a lot of people is critical, and that reduction has to be calculated. It absolutely does. And even for people with, uh, with, with substantial means, Social Security is still a big part of retirement. So anything you can do to maximize the benefits you get out of that, and Ted, you mentioned this, especially for that surviving spouse, because when you take a couple, there is a high likelihood that one of them is going to live past 90. So we really have to plan for that longevity. And anything we can do to increase those lifetime benefits is going to just make the plan look that much better. All right. that's So we've kind of covered the taxes. It's going to affect Medicare. It's a reduction in the payment. Ted, it, it's offered. So what are some of the good things about it well uh, and just to just to reiterate the fact that when you make this decision it does it does involve the fact that you need to understand your other incomes and how they fit into your plan the taxes your longevity what the chances of how long you live versus your how long your spouse will live uh and and the spouse's needs now jim i mean there could be a situation where you might have debt that you've got high interest rates and actually taking the lump sum could be beneficial to you 
Uh, there's, I mean, there are some other situations where you can roll things into uh, next year. Uh, otherwise, I, you could wait and take a lump sum in the next year, and it could help you from a tax benefit. So there are some reasons that you would take it, but you need to be aware of it. And make sure that when you, when you do make that decision that you are taking in consideration all those other factors that affect it, your income, the taxes, your longevity, and your, and your spouse. You know, I, I think what you guys are saying and what we've heard today is tremendous information to help people. I think we've had a great discussion. Ted, I think people don't know about the lump sum, but obviously they need a professional to kind of help them with that. Putting together a will, last will and testament, you don't just do it. As Scott, you said it. It's if I, you know, don't do it yourself, you need some counsel because there's a lot of moving parts. And I just want to thank all of you for being a part of today's program. It's been fun. Thanks for having me, Jim. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. All right. I'm glad we had the lady in the house today. She just brought a little, you know, a little up class with us, and that's important. So, all right, let me just say this again. Thank you, guys, Tiffany, Scott, and Ted. If you want to talk to Tiffany, you can reach her at 578-8888, 578-8888. And you want to talk to Scott or Ted, you can call them at 757-5757. That's area code 901. You can find our show, Talk Money, wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a review. Next week, Scott's going to be back, and Drew Johnson's going to be with us. War, inflation, and the Fed. That's our topic for next week. Risk on, risk off. And also, Chet and Dyson's going to talk with us about some of the problems we foresee with medical insurance. That's Wednesday and Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. right here on KWAM, the Mighty 990. I want to just remind you that if you have questions for us, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll get your questions on the air. It's always a privilege to answer your questions, so please be sure to do that. Thank you so much for listening. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, and Ted Miner are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.